There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me, every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Sally Jenkins is the author of The Right Call, What Sports Teach Us About Work and Life. Sally has been a columnist and feature writer for the Washington Post for more than 20 years. She was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in 2020 and in 2021, and was named the winner of the Associated Press Red Smith Award for Outstanding Contributions to Sports Journalism. She's the author of 12 books of nonfiction, including The Real All-Americans, The Story of the Carlisle Indian School, and its use of football as a form of resistance following the close of the Indian Wars. Her work for the Washington Post has included coverage of 10 Olympic Games. In 2005, she was the first woman to be inducted into the National Sports Writers and Sportscasters Hall of Fame. She received her Bachelor of Arts degree from Stanford University in 1982 and resides in New York. Welcome, Sally. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss the right call, what sports teach us about work and life. Thank you. You're welcome. I found your book so interesting. Well, first of all, I was watching the French Open yesterday uh-huh. with your book right next to me and heard the announcers mention the book, the right call. And my husband was sitting right there. I was like, 
this is the book. And I grabbed it and they were like talking about it. Anyway, I thought it was so great. So congratulations on that. Thank you. I have a lot of friends in tennis. There's some tennis in the book. They're Billie Jean King and Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova are in the book. And so I think my tennis friends were anxious to give it a shout. So I, I loved in the book when you said something like Chris Everett was asked if she was good looking enough and you, you, she said not bad or close enough or something oh, no, funny. She said just missed. Just missed. That's just even better. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that a great line? Yes. That was yeah. a great line. Chrissy's very funny, very salty, dry, hilarious, surprising sense of humor. It's my favorite thing about her. Oh, She's great. Every bit as great as you would hope she is, but in none of the ways that you expect. Huh. She's a very surprising person. Very, very funny, very self-aware and self-deprecating and uh, not at all sort of haughty, you know, or great in the conventional sense. So. Wow. Well, that's good to know. I, uh, I idolized her as a kid. You know, I had like the Christy Everett book when I was, I don't know, five and she was 16. I don't know. Anyway. It's been, I think we all did. I, I did. know. <laughs> yeah. 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 I shouldn't have said it like it was anything unique, but uh, she was my, my hero for a long time and I love tennis. And so. And a, uh, a worthy one, you know. Yes. Turns <laughs> out, right? Because some of them aren't always. It's true. You never know. Yeah. They can disappoint us in the end sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your proximity to basically all the greats of every sport is amazing. And I know you've done years and years of Pulitzer Prize winning reporting on all of them and then included so many mentions in the book. And my husband is a huge sports fan, not to keep talking about him, but every single person you mentioned who I didn't know, and I knew a lot, but not all, I would be like, well, what about, um, you know, so-and-so Dungy? And he's like, it's not Dungy, it's Dungy. And then he was like hysterically <laughs> laughing. And anyway, <laughs> That's yeah. really appreciate yeah, it. it's, it's a good gig. You know, I've met a lot of people and uh, had the chance to talk to a lot of people. And here, here's the thing about the right call. The book is basically an attempt to sort of look at all those, you know, really interesting, but very, very divergent people I've talked to, right? Whether it's Tony Dungy or Chris Everett or big wave surfer, Laird Hamilton, or Michael Phelps, the Olympic swimmer, or Jill Ellis, the World Cup soccer coach, and just see where their habits and their thinking and their methods intersect. And so that's what I tried to do. And then I tried to sort of unpack all those in chapters that focus on like the, you know, what were the seven core values that they all subscribe to no matter what they do. Yep. Um, and, and is there anything in that, that you and me can take home? Yeah. You know, because, you know, athletes, they awe us and they dazzle us and we, they're our idols as kids, we revere them, but we don't always know exactly why they're so important to us, you know, or, or even whether they should be right. That's the other question. Should these people be so important to my kid? Mm -hmm. Right or to me. And so I really tried to get at what matters about them, you know, yeah. to all of us, what should matter about them to all of us. Well, and what they teach us too, because one of the big takeaways from the book that I got is how much discipline and practice and all of that matter. And that it's, you can have talent, but that is not what makes the best athletes in the world. Talent is just one thing and it is not luck. It is diligence and sort of relentless practice and drive to achieve and improve constantly. And it's just like hours in the pool for Michael Phelps. And, and even when you talked about how he practiced so much, the visualization of all the things that could go wrong, 
And then his goggles did fall off in the Olympics and he was prepared for that. Like that was so important. I thought, I feel like that's one of the main things. It's like visualizing, practicing, rehearsing so that when you're in it, you don't have to focus on, am I making a decision? It's just instinctive. This is just, you know what to do. Yeah. Because the messaging system, the male, right? The male system between your brain and your body and back to your brain again, that male system has gotten incredibly efficient because of all of the diligence that you put in. And diligence is a great word. I wish I had used it in the book actually, because (laughs) it's much much better than discipline or conditioning. I mean, diligence is what they have, right? And um, that's a, a quality anyone can apply, truly. I mean, you can acquire diligence for yourself and you can build your habit your habits to be more diligent yourself. You don't, I mean, the biggest thing that frustrates athletes like Michael Phelps is the idea that they were born with some genetic freakish gift, right? I don't know any athlete that's not really frustrated by that idea because they know how much work they've put in for how many years and they know what really built their careers and their greatness. And so to sort of act like they got some fortunate kiss from God uh, really short changes them. And it, it cheats us too, mm-hmm. again, out of understanding what, what we really can learn from them. You know, Thank you. you mentioned, I think it was Patrick Mahomes who built a whole football training facility in his backyard with his bonus, right? So he yeah. could practice more. Yeah. It's, it's That's a much. That might be <laughs> <laughs> but you know, yeah, he signed like a $250 million contract and, you know, here's this guy in his twenties and his idea of fun was to build half a football field in his backyard so he could get a little extra work in. But, you know, he lives the game. I mean, he just, he grew up, his father was a major leaguer. He grew up watching how great athletes practice and how they live their careers. And so that's what he wanted to do with some of his bonus money. I'm assuming he spoiled himself in a couple of ways. Uh, but, <laughs> that wasn't it. Yeah. But one of the things that you really notice about these guys is, you know, they don't overdo it either. I think it's important to stress this, especially for kids they are younger athletes, but also for anyone trying to do anything in an office, you know, this notion that you have to be hard charging 24 seven is really, really misplaced and really, really wrong. Athletes get a ton of rest and a ton of recovery. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mahomes may put in a field in his backyard and do extra work, but he also takes, you know, months off and, you know, they get a lot of massages and they do a lot of self-care and Every guy in the NBA now does yoga or Pilates. It's a funny story that's not in the book, but when Mike Krzyzewski became the Olympic basketball coach for the USA program, Mike was the head coach at Duke. And so he he coached really high level players, but he'd never, he hadn't coached NBA level players who do this for a living. And he said, guys, I'd like to start training camp with two a day workouts. We'll work out in the morning and we'll come back in the afternoon because we have a lot of basketball stuff to install. And, you know, the LeBron Jameses and the Kobe Bryants looked at him and they said, we can't do two a days. You know, we, the afternoons are when we do our yoga and our Pilates. And she was like, what? And they were like, yeah, that's when we do our stretching and our yoga and our Pilates and we get our rub downs and, you know, and he realized what, what real care these guys take of their physical resources, their mental, physical, emotional resources. They really marshal their energies quite carefully. And they're very cognizant of not Tom Brady, the great quarterback talks about inputs and outputs Mm -hmm. and and would keep very, very careful score of like what was a drain and what was adding. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important. Any of these concepts that we talk about with the book, you know, conditioning, practice, discipline, they need to be seeded with the idea that you build in a lot of recovery and a lot of refreshment into all of that stuff. 
Interesting. And actually the physical can be the break from the mental, like with Bob Iger, who's walking three miles after work. I'm like, what yeah. am I doing with my time? Oh my gosh. All these people are like yeah. <laughs> so yeah. active and, you know. Yeah. yeah. Iger's taking long walks or sometimes 20 mile bike rides, you know, just to get his head out of Hollywood, I guess. Or So yeah, I, I think I, you know, for me, quite honestly, being a desk bound person, the exercise is a pretty critical break for me. And uh, building that stuff into our day, actually, you become more in command of your schedule rather than less, which was a lesson I got from a really interesting guy named Dana Cavalea, who was the performance coach for the New York Yankees for many years. And Cavalea has kind of a side business working with CEOs or executives. And the first thing he does is help them really get a grip on their schedule. And Cavalea said, you know, once you start building in the things that are really, really good for you, you'll be amazed at how other people kind of come around to your schedule rather than you are always being reactive to other people's. Mm. You know, when you establish a small handful of non-negotiables and you just start saying, no, I can't do that at that time, mm-hmm. you'll be amazed at how people are more flexible than you might realize, you know, and you're not the one who always has to be making the change. Yes. Good point. Which is a lesson I'm still trying to learn. <laughs> I talk a great game. I talk a a much better game than I I possess for myself. Uh, But, you know, I I was thinking because in a way, books and reading have the same sort of practice element that some of the on the field training does too. I was, I interviewed recently Amy Newmark, who uh, is the publisher of all the chicken soup for the soul books. And when she, she talked about getting cancer and because she has spent her life reading these essays, when she got cancer, she's like, okay, now it's my turn. Like, and she kind of knew what was coming and knew what to do and knew so many people had gone through it that she had, she had gone through the mental practice when it happened to her, not to minimize it. Of course it was terrifying and she's still dealing with it and all that, but somehow in life, we cannot do all these practice things. So I think what some people do like myself and big readers and everything is like, we read the things that are coming next, or we read to go over and over about how to get ourselves out of bad situations. Or we read about like overcoming adversity or something so that we kind of have those tools, even though we don't really have them. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's very true. I mean, I'm, that's the story of my life, you know, <laughs> I think. But you do find, I mean, the one thing I will say is, yes, that's very, very true. But the other thing that happens is you find that some of these habits sort of stick a little bit more than others, just because they just make you feel better. Or you find that you're operating better in your life. You know, I'm a much better preparer than I used to be. These athletes that I've been covering for so long, slowly but surely had an effect on how I go about my own work and my own life. So a great example is like, it's really hard and pressure packed to write a thousand words on deadline in 90 minutes when a big game is just ended. Like the Super Bowl ends at like nine o'clock at night and you've got 90 minutes and you've got to interview, get all the way downstairs, interview the players, get back up. Um, Usually the game was only decided in the last two minutes or so, or the last five minutes. It's a really pressure packed exercise. And a thousand words, just for reference, it's about five pages of copy, right? And so that's really hard. And I learned, and I borrowed this very much from athletes, I learned to have stuff pre-prepared. I would go back over all the things guys said in the week leading up to the game and pull out the quotes that I thought were likely to be useful or relevant afterwards and have them typed up and ready to go along with some observations, some things, some pressure points in the game that I thought might be important. 
Now, I wouldn't necessarily use all of it, but having 500 words when you've got to write a thousand that are already prepared. Okay, now your job is half as hard, you know, and that was just a method that I took straight from watching athletes and coaches, you know, prepare for the big game. I was like, I started thinking, all right, why aren't you getting yourself as ready for this as they are? Mm-hmm. You know, if you study, if you're pretty sure what's going to be important or who's going to be important and you've got some material ready to go, you're in a much better position to perform well under pressure and feel good about the job you did afterwards, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to early on when I would like bolt a Coke and a glazed donut and breeze into the press box, you know, <laughs> and, you know, just kind of watch it on the fly. And, and, uh, I wasn't that bad, but you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's a big difference. It's just a big difference in how you feel and how you perform when it matters to you the most. Totally. You talked also about good leadership and how part of being a good leader is knowing when you've led your team astray. You gave an example yeah. of a coach who, I don't remember who the coach or the team, but somebody was like running straight towards someone when they should have run away from them. But the point is, is that the whole team got together after and the coach was like, okay, you guys have to bail me out of this. I made it obviously a huge yeah. stick, like and owning up to it as opposed to covering it up or whatever and how important mm-hmm. that transparency is. Yeah. And if he didn't have a real backlog of trust with those guys, it was Tony Dungy in the Super Bowl. Oh, and, same uh, guy again. There we go. He made a decision. He'd spent the whole week telling his team that they were going to kick away from the, the this guy, Devin Hester, who was the fastest, you know, most blistering kick returner in the league. And then the day of the game, he kind of thought, I'm being weak to kick away from this guy. And like, maybe we need to go right at him and we'll kick right to him and we'll really hit him hard and like send a message. And then we'll have the upper hand for the whole rest of the game. So he kicks off to the guy and the guy immediately like breaks it for a touchdown. And he just had to call his team back together. He'd he'd made a really critical mistake. He changed the plan right before the game after preparing all week to do something else. And, uh, you know, he second guessed and self doubted himself in the last second. And he had to call his guys together and say, you know, I told you we were going to have to weather some hardship here. And this is one of them. It's my bad, my mistake. It's all on me. I need you guys to bail me out. And, you know, that moment was critical. They go on and win the game. And it was really critical because it's a real example of candor, which is another subject in the book. Leaders who are that candid with the people around them, with their constituents, tend to fare much better. And it's not just because people like them better for it or respect them better for it. Dynamically, what happens when you exercise that kind of candor is people are candid back with you. So you get better analysis, Mm -hmm. right? You get better information. Things aren't as foggy because people are covering their asses or rationalizing their own behavior because they're more comfortable in, in admitting their own mistakes. So you get a much clearer picture which enables much better thinking and decision-making. So that's the argument for candor. It's not just because people will trust you. It's because everything around it will operate better. So interesting. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything, it might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because... Even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help, and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Wow. So when you were writing this book, how did you go about doing this without, you know, in the beginning you talk about your being clutched under pressure type of moment, you know, choking when like the athletes hadn't choked you. Like, why were you choking? Tell me about writing the whole book and if there's anything I missed in terms of what we should be taking away. Oh, I choked like a dog. I mean, in the middle of it, I tried to give the money back. I tried <laughs> Did to you? give the money back. Books are hard. Books are so hard. You know, they take a long time to write. I mean, so there's that thousand words that you write on deadline at a big game you know, or the tennis tournament or a Super Bowl, books are thousands upon thousands. I mean, a chapter is 10,000 words, right? So, you know, 10 chapters is 100,000 words. I mean, that is a marathon process. It takes months and months and months and every day at the typewriter and you wake up with it like, you know, you're, you open your eyes in the morning and you have like one fleeting moment of peace and then you think, oh God, the book, you know, <laughs> and it feels like you're just never going to get it done. And then as you get closer and the, the, the pile of pages, I'm a big printer because I have to see the pages grow. I have to see the stack, right? The stack starts thin and then it grows. And that's the only thing that gets you through. But, you know, I, I was really discouraged. It's very discouraging. And I cry. And uh, oh. I called my agent and said, it's terrible. I'm afraid I'm going to have to give the money back. And she said, well, I'll, let me look at it. I'll tell you if it's really bad. And I think it's going to hurt your career. And then she called me later and said, you're crazy. <laughs> You know, you're just tired. So, you know, it's it's a process and it's a horrible way to live. 
It's a I horrible did, way to I live. did that with, I have a novel coming out in March. And when I was like, I don't know, a third of the way through, I was like, I don't think I can do this. And I literally, I did the same thing. I called my agent. I was like, I think I should give it back. I don't think I can ever do this. I, I think, I think I told my whole story in 20,000 words. Now I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, we, it's, I don't know. We did it. It's the business we chose. I don't know why we did this to ourselves. <laughs> I just envy people who are finished at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Right. They just, they don't, they don't have to think about it over dinner and think about it again when they wake up in the morning. They're just finished. I don't know though. I feel like, I don't know. Yeah. I I mean, pros and cons. Yes. Then there's nothing hanging over their heads for a long time, but then they, maybe they don't feel as accomplished at the end of it when they finally get it done. I don't know. I always think about this thing that Lance Armstrong told me once about cycling. I was trying to talk to him about what keeps a, you know, a cyclist on the bike in the Tour de France. I mean, you know, all doping aside, quite honestly, I don't, I don't think there's any substance that can help a human being stay in the saddle of the bike in the eighth hour of the day and get to the top of Mont Ventoux in the, in the middle of the Pyrenees, going up a hill that a car transmission has a hard time getting up, right? I mean, it's just, it's just the most spectacular feat of endurance I've ever seen. And anyway, I said to Lance one time, I was talking to him about what enables him to do that. And he said, you know, I'm the guy who can take it, mm. you know, and he did, you know, he truly had a sense that he had a higher pain threshold than others. And that was his identity. I'm the guy who can take it, you know? And, I do think uh, there's, some, I think there's something to that though. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, my husband played professional tennis for like 12 years and taught tennis and all this stuff. And he'll be like, oh yeah, it hurts like my wrist and it'll be broken. Do you know what I mean? It's something like ridiculous. And I'm like, go to urgent care. Like, what are you doing? And he's like, no, it'll be better tomorrow. And maybe the next day. And I'm like, oh, you know, my, my left Achilles has been hurting for three weeks. So I better sit out. <laughs> yeah. Right. So maybe, maybe athletes, like, do they not care as much? Do they not feel it as much? I don't know what it is. Maybe I, I'm just I, a wimp, you know? <laughs> They've learned something really, really deep. And this is one of the things that I've come to really admire them for, really have deep regard. I mean, athleticism is acquired, right? It's grooved through lots of neurological combinations of practice and and, and conditioning. And, and they've made that messaging system in their brain and body really, really efficient. And they're highly, you know, all those things that look intuitive on the court or on the field are actually micro decisions. They're highly alert very reactive in the moment, but it, there's a mountain of work behind it, a mountain of planning and preparation. But the thing I admire about them, I think maybe more than anything, is they're not as easily destroyed as we are. They have a tolerance for setback and reversal that we don't. Like they they don't think about quitting in the middle. They just accept it as part of the process that stressing the body and stressing the mind and stressing the spirit is a natural cycle in what they do. And so they're much more comfortable with that. And, and they really, comfort is not the only thing worth seeking. And so much of our world today, everything we watch on TV, everything we listen to is all about comfort. We're being sold comfort, comfort food, comfort clothes, comfort furniture, all of it. And athletes are just the dead up. They're going right against that grain. I mean, you know, when I was working with Lance, I did it's not about the bike with him. And my father is a Hall of Fame sports writer, was a Hall of Fame sports writer. And I came home one day and I said, Dad, I need to talk to you about Lance. I'm not getting an answer from him on the most important question. And the, and the, and the most important question I had for him is, what's the pleasure in sitting on that bike for eight hours riding up a mountain? 
And Lance said, I don't understand. I don't understand the question. And I said, well, you know, what feels good about it? What's pleasurable about that? What are you getting pleasurable out of it? And he said, I, I just don't, I don't, I really don't know how to answer that question. So I told that to my father and my father said, well, you're asking the wrong question. He doesn't do it for the pleasure. He does it for the pain. Mm-hmm. And I said, wow. He said, go back and talk to him about the pain. So I go back to Lance and I said, you know, my father says, you don't do this for the pleasure. You do it for the pain. And Lance said, that's exactly right. So then we started talking about pain. Pain's very clarifying. You know, it demands a total immersive focus. It's actually very simplifying and decluttering. You can't think about anything else that's bothering you while you're trying to stay on that bike. Diana Nyad, the endurance swimmer who swam from Cuba to Key West, spent, you know, three days and two nights in the water. Same thing, had the same conversation with her. You know, she's the woman who can take it. She's the woman who at 64 years of age could swim the Florida straight through sharks and jellyfish and make it to the other side. And and again, like while she was in that water, nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. It's actually a beautiful place to be in some way. And the other thing Diana said about that was that she said there is an incredible experience perceptual experience in getting someplace really far away under your own power, (laughs) right? With nothing else helping you. So these are the types of experiences that athletes can turn you on to if you'll let them. You know, a couple years ago, I went, Diana now organizes marathon walks called Everwalks. And uh, I joined a group of people that she took on a a long distance trek from uh, Boston to the tip of Maine. We walked 20 miles or more a day for guys six straight days. And and everybody kept saying, where are you going? You know, well, we're going to Maine. Well, why are you walking to Maine? You know, why are you walking? Are you raising money? We were like, no, we're just walking. (laughs) I don't even want to drive. I'm like, where's the plane? It was was one of the greatest trips I ever took. She was absolutely right. There's something remarkable about working your way through discomfort and coming out the other side of it. You know, Mm -hmm. that's what athletes have to teach us. That's what they have to show us. Yeah. I guess... They're just different forms of discomfort. We can yeah. be very stressed. Like I think stress, maybe stress is sort of like the poor man's physical endurance tactic, right? If like yeah. I'm not willing, I'm not willing to swim for five hours or something, yeah. but I can sit at my desk till two in the morning. I mean, it's not the same, but it's <laughs> or you can scare yourself a little bit on your bicycle, you know. I mean, Larry yep. Hamilton, the, the big wave surfer, said a really interesting thing to me that's in the book. Um, because we, there's a whole section about stress that I talked to Laird about. Cause I mean, stress is like, okay, not even being able to see shore and here comes an 80 foot wave at you. But Laird said something so fascinating. He said, your body does not know what's stressing you. Your body doesn't know if you're stressed because you're in the water and you have a wave coming at you that looks like a rabid dog, or if you're stressed because your 16-year-old daughter took the car keys and left the house about two hours ago and hasn't come home yet. He's like, your body, you know, is not real attuned to what exactly is, is doing this to you. And so understanding that, you can start to mitigate some stress. Like you can start working with some methods to help yourself deal with stress better. And one really good way is um, saunas or cold showers. And those two things trigger incredibly helpful cascades, you know, chemical reactions, particularly as you work up towards being able to bear cold water more, you find yourself coping with stress better. Hmm. It's a trick. It's a hack that Lance uses quite a lot. I mean, I'm sorry, that Laird Hamilton uses quite a lot. 
mm-hmm. immersion, hot and cold therapies really help your body acclimate to stress. You also wrote in the book that when you have a moment of high stress, like when you're going fast down a hill or something, that the brain hyper-focuses on what's right in front of you. So maybe that's an, the, the flip side of that. Yeah, there's a great quote in the book that stress is nature's way of helping us rise to a moment that matters. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a gift in some ways. It makes us more alert. It triggers the fight or flight response. And so it It triggers certain things in your body, for instance, that can be helpful or not helpful. So when your body reacts to stress and it's it turns on the fight or flight response, it sends blood from your small muscle groups to your large muscle groups, right? So one of the things that happens is you lose fine motor control because there's less blood in your fingers and your toes. Under stress, I it's harder for me to type. Like I have felt that literally. I mean, you watched the French Open. I mean, Carlos Alcaraz had went into full body cramps from the sheer stress of playing Novak Djokovic, the number one player in the world on clay in 80 degree heat. I mean, he literally, that was anxiety that made him do that. You know, he's a very young player. You know, he'll learn to cope with it better. But that's what happened. I mean, all the blood rushed from his hands and toes to, you know, his quads and his back. It's a fascinating response. Once you actually start exploring that stuff, then you can figure out how to deal with it a little bit better, right? Yep. Wow. This is all fascinating. I find yeah. that so, so fascinating. Isn't it? Yeah. What are you doing after this? Like, not today. I mean, I mean, I guess what today is. Uh, what I meant, what projects are you undertaking? <laughs> um, let's see. Well, literally today, I'm going to go try to run around the reservoir a couple times when we're done. Amazing. City. I just finished a story that's going to be coming out that I'm very, very proud of about Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova and how they've been, they're very close friends after all these years, and they've both been going through cancer together. And so it's a story about how these two former champions have dealt with the very humbling experience of their respective cancers. Um, And I'm working on this uh, controversial issue about the PGA tour and uh, Saudi money coming in and basically trying to buy golf. Hmm. So, wow. Yeah. You had quoted, I think, Pian Nielsen in the book. And my mother is a huge golfer and she had them. She's had like many weekends with, with Pia. (laughs) She's a great teacher. Yeah. So I don't know. I think... Anyway, thank you so much. This was interesting. I found your book absolutely fascinating and have taken a few nuggets that will really stay with me forever in terms of how I think about things from leadership to pain to all of that. So um, yeah, so thank you very much. Well, thank you. It was great to meet you and thanks for having me and and paying attention to a a nice little book. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. All right. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.